lot. I'd say I was going to talk about intimacy, but everybody would get scared and go away. So I think instead I'll tell you that I'm talking about suffering. <laughs> then you know that for sure it's your message. <laughs> um, they're really connected, but I think maybe a more useful uh, doorway than intimacy at this moment might be sensitivity. And by that I mean just the sensitivity of the organism, which includes the brain and all the hormones, but it also just includes the eye and the ear, the nose, the tongue, the body. The mind's sensitivity to itself. Sometimes I wonder about the the tangle of this life, the, the human entanglement that we all find ourselves in. Um, and before I go further, I want to make sure that makes sense to you. Do you know what I mean about your own entanglement, or whatever it is, your relationships, your job, things that are confusing, things you want, things you don't want, that kind of stuff, just how complicated life can be? Not just when it goes bad. As a matter of fact, when it goes bad, then you focus on certain problems. But when it's going well, it's also pretty complicated, I think. And we have this immense capacity in the body-mind and in the brain to understand the world, to learn about it, to recognize patterns, and combined with the ability to move with the body and to move with language and to engage with other people, to get a lot of stuff done in the world, to get the things that the organism wants. And that's what we do, that's all these buildings and all these clothes and automobiles. I was given a tour of your beautiful museum downtown by uh, one of the architects and you know the number of people it takes to do something like that is stunning but it's the same in a, you know, at a different scale for all the clothing that you're wearing or for us to come together in the meeting room of a church and for there to be a building here and for there to be announcements and there for there to be an internet. It's all part of the entanglement. It's the part that also brings us in our tangles the, the, the good stuff, you know? We work together with kindness and care. We work together to create conditions sometimes of safety, comfort. This is what we do. 
and we worked together also to create some of the most horrific things on the face of the planet. Together we create torture and murder. Together we create all the tangles of the legal system. And together we create war. The power of human contact is astonishing actually and we take it for granted. So I'll name a couple of things about it but as I'm naming it there's something that I want to point out so you can watch for yourself while it's happening that the power uh, that I'm talking about the sensitivity the intimacy the entanglement the astuteness we all carry is all operating now as I'm speaking between you and me and between you guys and each other you know like how close are you to the other person and how does that feel but also just this just that I'm using language and you're understanding what's going on in my mind that's really powerful I mean that's really astonishing stuff and we take it for granted the way you're reading my face and the way you're reading my voice it's all happening here it's not abstract even a little bit do you understand do you feel yourself doing that do you feel yourself not just understanding my words but assessing me and orienting and you know we're forming a relationship and we're saying what are we doing tonight and there's all these layers right now So this power of interpersonal contact reveals itself in the simple fact that as a species we would not have survived without the ability to work together and more than work together to read each other's intentions and emotions so that as a family in the family unit we could you know hold together and care for each other and protect ourselves against other marauding families out into the tribe out into the village the town the city-state the nation but just think about your attempt to survive in the wild by yourself, not with another person, by yourself. How well do you think you'd do? The people who inhabited the land before us and were completely devoted, all of that fine intelligence devoted to survival did it together. They couldn't do it alone either. Exile from the tribe meant death. And the tribe that could communicate well in war conquered the tribe that could not communicate well. And they would pass along their genes and we inherit those genes. So just this fact that we are built to survive together. We are built to hang together as family, 
and we are built to read each other, to understand each other in our hearts with empathy and compassion, to care for the weak is built in just as much as it is to be completely selfish and just take care of me, I, number one, over here. Both. Both those qualities, both of those tendencies are active in each of us right now. Right now. And this kind of uh, basic fact of survival, of relationality, is the kind of thing that we can see operating just when we say hi to a friend and we say, oh, you don't look so good today. You know, we feel how they are. That's millions of years old. It's not a small thing. But let's look at another angle of this kind of this aspect of human contact and entanglement. Let's look at competition. Once again, we're talking now one-on-one survival, or perhaps we're talking tribe-on-tribe survival and on out. Mostly today we see it in sports and this kind of thing, and then we see it in the chaos of war. This is all forms of competition. But right down at the root level, you know, when you've got the haka before the rugby game, what's that? What is that? Why do we respond like that? goes all the way down into our guts to see eye to eye and face to face the way two dogs or two bears or two you know other animals other than human animals we can see it in them right and then of course the submissive one looks away this is really really deep in the in the cells of the body But let's take that same look and let's look at that as a look between infant and mother. That same look, just as in your face, only now it's in your face, right? And it's so, that too touches all the way down in and oxytocin is secreted, you know, the bonding hormone and the whole body says yes, it it embraces. And that's right in your face too. Don't forget that. But in our entanglement, whether it's in competition or in sexuality and all the complications around sexuality, we have all kinds of reactions because our society, you know, with this huge force of sexual drive, trying to channel it and deal with it, it's, it creates, oh, wait a minute, looking male to female or, or two people who are attracted of the same sex, whatever it is, is maybe not so okay. It's maybe not so safe. 
Maybe it's implying something I don't want to imply. I better, I better be careful. So there's all these forces back and forth. And moment by moment, we're part of that. Deep down in our bodies, as these things are happening, the flushing of stress hormones, of bonding hormones, of flight hormones, you know, adrenaline and so on, are tied in with mental activity. And you get this incredible feedback loop from the mind to the body. The body's flushed in some way. And when the body's flushed, the mind is activated further and everything is sensitized to be according to the fear or the desire that I have going. And it's all running on this engine, relational engine of the brain, body, mind, where there are structures in this brain that are intrinsically relational, relating to hormonal activity that is intrinsically relational. And so every moment of contact is so charged, so sensitized, that when it becomes bare, just right, you know, nothing else protecting it, either we have to shovel in things to dull us down again, or we can't bear it. We just can't bear it. Or we develop a way of being that is so relaxed, so balanced, that that relational power actually can have a positive effect. That it doesn't scare us. It doesn't confuse us but it's just part of our natural intelligence, actually, our natural sensitivity. So this is running through our culture. It's, it's running through our families. It's running through our bodies, our minds. And this relational entanglement, interpersonal entanglement, interpersonal sensitivity, is perhaps the most um, uh, uh, ready to ignite force of all of the sensory and mental entanglements. So when the Buddha, for example, speaks about suffering, he speaks in very, very basic terms. He speaks about aging and illness and death, and he speaks about sorrow and lamentation, grief and despair or distress. He speaks about not getting what you want. Pretty basic. Uh, sometimes he'll talk about the 
presence of the unwanted, not just the absence of the wanted. Pretty basic. But when he gets the most basic and he wants to say one thing that encompasses all of it, what does he say? He says, in short, these five clinging aggregates are suffering. And let me just translate that for you. He's talking about their sensitivity. He's talking about just the fact of having a body. He's talking about the sensitivity of the eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, and mind just vibrating with pleasant and unpleasant contacts all the time. Every contact touching, touching the body-mind through these eyes. He's talking about how f we form and see things and those things key into our personal histories and our memories and our moods and our feelings. And as we come to know that each moment, we grip. We grip and we suffer. So the basic teaching on that encompasses all this suffering that he talks about is just this, just this being born into this package, this life. Reminds me of a saying by a Korean Zen master, Sung Son. He used to say, being born, already a mistake. <laughs> right? And talk about sensitivity and entanglement. You know, it, it starts with all of these contacts. And sure, we want the pleasant stuff, we don't want the unpleasant stuff. We learn to organize our lives. We grow up with other people and we, we have uh, all the social contacts. But just talking about the, the soft and the hard, talking about the cold and the hot, the green and the blue and the orange and the yellow, talking about what tastes good and what doesn't, you know, really elemental, skip the person part. So we try to get all that. We try to organize our lives to get the sweet and not the sour, to stay warm when it's cold, to stay cool when it's warm. <coughs> isn't that the simple stuff? I mean, isn't that relatively, you know, easy? And when it doesn't work, well, so you're cold. But how about when you're lonely? Or how about when someone is, has insulted you? Starts to get a little bit more complicated than I'm too hot. Or there's not enough cream in my coffee or foam on my latte. You know what I'm saying? This is the stuff where it gets really dicey. But it's all included in this suffering. When you look at the interpersonal part, you begin to see the extent of the tangle. Think about for yourself, where are the places in your life where you've experienced the most pain? Or been the most confused? I don't
don't know what they are, but I'm guessing that in some way, directly or indirectly, other people were involved. So this is a force. It's a force to be reckoned with if we want to look at the totality of being human. And tonight we'll be practicing insight dialogue, which is a meditation practice that unfolds in relationship, an interpersonal or relational meditation practice. And it's exactly this sensitivity that's built into the organism to other people that is brought forward to support the strengthening of mindfulness, sort of reminding each other to come home to this moment, or reminding each other to basically say, are you awake right now? To, to, to take the uh, kind of that vibrating extra secret sauce, whatever it is that happens when we see each other and say, oh right, that wakes me up, right? That wakes me up, that's got some spark to it. And in front of another, maybe I don't drift off, maybe I don't forget so much. Maybe I don't get so distracted. Maybe I stay with the investigation of the human body-mind that is intrinsic to meditation. Maybe I calm down in the sense of shared human experience, perhaps even some sense of safety something in the body-mind, let's go. And the tranquility that is part of meditation can find me. Maybe the mind can get concentrated when together we investigate what is this? What is this experience right now? So it takes the power of that relational uh, structure and applies it to awakening, to clearing the mind, calming the mind, to see things as they actually are. So I think that that's really enough of a background because I could talk about it a long time and have it not really get in what might get in is if you want to try it and then you see for yourself and we can talk about it together and when we talk about it together you'll be speaking from experience too okay great
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.